Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary Media. I'm Russell Brand. This week I spoke with President and CMO of America, no, of WeTransfer, Damien Bradfield. He's lovely, actually. He's a lovely tech man with good intentions. His new book, even though my script here says his Ned book, Damien's Ned book, The Trust Manifesto, what you need to do to create a better internet is about big data and how tech companies have influenced the notion of trust and how online corporations are killing community. It's out on October the 3rd, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon if you want to. Thanks for all your comments on last week's podcast with Richard Iwadi. Here are those comments. Wasn't it a lovely episode with Richard? Listen to this one called From Evan Untrue. Richard Iwadi thinks he's never entertained anybody. What talent dysmorphia is this? He is among my top five people to watch. Yeah, I really like watching him. I watch little clips of him on YouTube. His flat, disenamored approach to topics, which he almost approaches with mild disdain in every case, is eloquent and masterful. Yeah, I like that. And then Kipayom Mindapen said, I felt burdened by Iowadi's modesty. I felt burdened by it. That's why I couldn't put my finger on that. It was burdensome. It was a burdensome level of, uh, of modesty. I'm not suggesting it's false, but burdensome for the other person. Liz Kindle, I find so much satisfaction in listening to this conversation between intellectual, deep philosophical thinkers who are also very comedically gifted. Me and Richard Iwadi, that is. It is so rich and interesting. Me and Richard Iwadi, that is. I feel like my mind and soul are both being fed by me and Richard Iwadi. There's so much to love about the video and these two men in particular. What? What else is there to love about the video? It's only me and Richard Iwadi in it. What do you like, the, f the furniture, the lighting, the framing? What kind of cinephile are you that you look at YouTube videos and analyse them? Well, here, look at this, cat spear. Richard Iwadi would be amazing at ASMR. Would he? Okay. Is that, what is ASMR? Like when those people say something gentle to you to get you go to sleep. Yeah, my wife likes it. Carrie Faller, I adore that Richard freely admits he isn't quite sure about aspects of himself and that he doesn't strive toward greatness. My mind expanded there in that moment. You mean greatness doesn't have to be the goal? Oh, what a relief. I can see why you fell in love with him, Russell. He's irresistible. I'm always falling in love with men. I'm basically gay. So uh, here's some promo. Check out my YouTube channel for more spiritual videos and clips. Subscribe to it if you don't mind. Uh, promote it on my behalf just when you're not looking after your children or getting on with your own life. Uh, get subscribed to it. Get notified of new videos by clicking on that clang bell. There's new videos every single week about well-being, spirituality, self-care and actually bits of this podcast. You can sort of see what things look like, which, as you heard from the comments, some people adore. We check the comments on every single video, so tell me what you'd like to see more of. This is your chance to communicate with me, to feel connected to me, which is surely what on some level we all want, not necessarily with me, but in this case necessarily me. Sign up to my mailing list on russellbrand.com. You'll be the first to be told about my upcoming shows and there's going to be a lot of interesting new shows, so do subscribe. You'll get exclusive content and all not found on my social media or YouTube channel. Have a look at Rebirth on Netflix. Yeah, you don't have to. I don't mind what you do about that anymore. You don't need to worry about it. Get in touch on social media. Let me know what you think about the podcast at Rusty Rockets, hashtag under the skin. And on Instagram, I'm called Russell Brand. And for God's sake, do tag me in your Instagram stories. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing, Jen? Why are you standing there laughing?
Why have you put your hands on your back and you're laughing? Why are you putting your hands to your eyes and laughing? Why are you putting you your... Said I didn't say podcast. Jen, I didn't say podcast. Play the clip back, Jen, and you'll find that I didn't say podcast. And you're supposed to be producing this. So you're supposed to go, uh, Russell, you said podcast there. So the note is, I almost said podcast. Is that what your job is? Telling me that I almost said podcast. Jenny, it's now time. I want you to leave all of that in, Jen, so people hear what I put up with. But now it's time for Under the Skin with the wonderful, very illuminating and warm and kind and calm. And we've got to stay connected with him, actually, because I really like him and want to be friends with him. It's Damien Bradfield. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Damien, thanks for coming and doing this podcast with me. It's a massive pleasure to be here. You're really I saw on your board so. Malcolm Gladwell, Damien Bradfield. Like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> yeah, we've been Bar is high. good guests yeah. now over the years of this podcast. And I'm very glad to speak with you because you're, uh, firstly, you're uh, the, well, you created We Transfer. So there was quite a few people. There's a guy actually called Bus Behrens. He started it. And another guy called Nalden who joined, and then I joined pretty much straight after them. So then all of it sort of came together in this amalgamation of what is today We Transfer. Yeah, which I use. Oh, I'm going to have to use We Transfer. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm putting the stresses on the right words. Yeah, you, we transfer. you shouldn't call it Wet Ransfer. <laughs> wet Rans. You could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of ways of breaking that yeah. down. Um, that So... What do you reckon your contribution was to this now global tech brand? I mean, I think WeTransfer has become this household name, especially especially in Europe, right? It's really, it really is a household name. And it's, I mean, it's super nice that you use it all the time. Yeah. I don't know if you use it all the time, but you guys had to use it. That's standard for us. If we've got to send something. If we've got to send something, we transfer. No, so that's that's cool, right? I think what the biggest things that we've really, you know, we've really worked on over the years, well, like we said, I said earlier on that we weren't really technologists, right? The, the service was set up because we all came from design and media, and basically it was how do you get shit from A to B in the simplest manner possible, and we should try and make it look attractive. And back in this is ten years ago, no one was really designing the web. You know, it was pretty ugly. A lot of it was really functional. A lot of it just was sort of an extraction of code that then was put onto a site that you know wasn't the nicest typefaces or anything it looked pretty ugly and um you know we transfer was designed beautifully and had these massive images in the background and those massive images became our sort of media and you know we make money from advertising and subscriptions but i think one of the biggest things that we've done over the years is deciding that we we're going to use that media for good so we give away 30 percent of all that media to support artists, photographers, illustrators, good causes, whatever basically we, we think might be interesting for our audience, but it also can add some weight to you know, some of the issues in the world. Why did you make this decision? Because we had a gift. 
I think we literally had this space that was sitting there that people people loved, and it was a, it's a huge visual destination, right? It's like a TV screen, and basically we could fill it up with anything. Um, and all of our friends basically came from you know were musicians or actors or whatever. And you know if you're starting out, you got no visibility, no one knows who you are. So the best thing we could do we go look. We think this guy's super cool. Here's an image of him. Click on it, and you'll find his website, and you can discover his music or her music or whatever else. And um, we just saw that as a gift, right? We could we could help other people out, and eventually they'd use the service. They'd tell friends, and it was just sort of you know goodwill karma. Um, and that's just has spiraled over the years to now. You know, we have like 50 million people using the service. Um, we give away 30% of this wallpaper inventory, and we can do some amazing stuff for gun reform in the US for you know to help the issues around homelessness in the US um we're about to kick off a big series around mental health you know and it's it's imp- it has impact it's cool that is interesting that's interesting you're doing that i'm doing um this show at the old vic in london an mm-hmm. evening on mental health awareness and i've been acquiring and collating um actual last words written by in this case it's like one they wanted to focus on male suicide so like blogs or text messages or in one case very long email written by people that went on to take their own lives and compiling this stuff it's uh it's insane when is that it's gonna be on the 29th of september if you're in london okay please come i should mention to our listeners that bear my dog is in the room so if you hear sort of whining wheezing or scratching it's it could me. be me and damien if this gets out of hand but <laughs> for now and he is one of the most beautiful dogs i've he's ever seen a gorgeous boy isn't he yeah. now we wanted to talk about your book the trust manifesto which I'm looking at the very appealing cover of now, and given that your background is in design, and your, was your education in design? Or no, you went to London all. School of Economics, is yeah. that right? Yeah, had nothing to do with design. How come you're flyering for Stella McCartney, or working for Stella McCartney and Alexander McQueen? How did that happen? Because, uh, well, long story short, I went to Oxford Brookes University for a year, dropped out, wasn't in the best, best place mentally. Oh. Then ended up, uh, my parents lived in South Africa, ended up in South Africa, met my then wife or my now wife and she encouraged me to go back and study and uh i stupidly left the system in the uk where where you had free education and now as a foreigner coming back i was treated as a foreigner having lived in south africa i had to pay tuition fees and had no money so i managed to get this job working for a gooch group in stella mccartney and they they needed somebody to go and do fly posting and um i said well i can do that in london in london yeah so I uh, just set up a company, bags of slop, putting up uh, posters around tube stations and around London. Um, and yeah, Stella thought it was pretty cool. Then Lee McQueen uh, wanted to do it and just sort of steamrolled. Uh-huh. Just something. to pay the bills. I mean, you're, it wasn't it for any other reason, to be honest. You're quite right. This is because I'm working out as best as I can. I'm trying to understand you and I'm trying to understand uh-huh. your unique perspective. So we've touched on mental health issues. What, what do you mean you weren't in the best place with your mental health when you were a student? What happened, mate? I think um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I ended up, uh, some, my parents, it was a recession, right, in the UK just, just prior to this. And I think, you know, financially things were tough. And we, um, I ended up at university with pretty much no money at all, not really knowing what I wanted to do. I mean, I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. And then um, 
you know, it was it was Oxford, right? So a lot of people with a lot of money, and I had none. And I think I just sort of went off the rails for a bit. So what did you do? Take some nice drugs? No, mostly mostly alcohol. Oh, drug? Yeah, we can get into some yeah. serious trouble with that legal high. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and then and and li- I mean, literally just got lost. I think you mm. know for probably a good year, and then ended up sort of running home to mum and dad, and then thinking, you know, fuck, I don't actually know what I want to do now. Was this when you were twenty? I would no younger. I would have been uh, nineteen, I think. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. I and see. then I met my and then I met my this this wonderful woman who basically said, you know what, you should you should you know go and do something you actually enjoy, buy some time, work it out, and I'll, and I'll help you through it. So she helped, you know, sort of put things back on track and give me a bit of focus. Pretty much how it all down to how to her actually. Hmm, often the case yeah so go on and how did you what what decisions did you make at that point that led you to uh, be in this rather interesting position of being presumably wealthy successful tech entrepreneur with a globally recognized brand and this ongoing interest in philanthropy and different ways of conducting business what were the inaugural points that came from that moment of crisis Um, well, it's a few things. I think that the moment there's an amazing thing I think of London in that it's it has got a very vibrant like entrepreneurial sort of feel to it. So I always felt like anything was possible in a city like London if you could basically you know if you could say that you could do it. And having just lived in Los Angeles, I feel it's pretty similar. Mm. If you if you tell people you can do it, you can you, they'll let you just wing it and get on with it. And that's not the same everywhere, right? So I think I was quite privileged that. There was a, suddenly this moment where you were able to create something. Um, I think my parents had always sort of pushed us to to just believe that we could do anything that we wanted to do. So I had that sort of gift that um, you know my my parent my fam my the fat dad side of the family is quite entrepreneurial. So it's like you know if you want to do it, just go off and do it. We're we're behind you. We believe in you. Um, so that was a gift. But I, I mean, I really do mean it. My my wife really supported me in. And going, look, you figure it out. I believe in you long term, and we're gonna, you know, we'll get there. Somebody said yesterday that um, it's a. Oh, I did. I did an interview actually yesterday, and uh, the guy I was the guy I was interviewing said they did research um, for Lynx deodorants, and what they discovered as a universal truth was that um, all men that are married see their wife as this sort of you know, model of excellence and perfection and everything else. And all women look at their husbands as projects that constantly need to be, you know, redefined and improved. And I, and I think that's how my wife sort of viewed me is like, yeah, he's a little bit fucked up, but I think long term, he might, he might work out. We could get him somewhere. That's very curious that links are the people that have yeah. <laughs> made this well, important marital some, discovery. Some making up to do, right? Do you remember those like links? Oh yeah, they were, it was a bit sexist in their old, old days. Um, so look, I suppose that the yeah. book that you have written, uh, doesn't happen to, I'm sure it's very deliberate, occupies a cultural space that seems to be extremely significant when the people discussing the internet, there's often hysteria, a uh, sense of fear it's a highly corporatized commercialized space it's obviously got tremendous potential but primarily what we focus on at least from a media perspective is the negative impact of social media on 
people's young people's self-esteem and fear-mongering it sort of seems to now i know most new phenomena goes through a stage where it's criticized in that fashion in television video games probably steam trains but what what is it that is what's your focus in in writing this book damien what 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 is it that you want to achieve i love the internet right i think the internet's got so much going for it and it's been an amazing source for good but I think the way that it's, you know, the way that it's developed, what it's manifested into is not at the moment being used at its best. And I think in interviewing a lot of people and, you know, a lot of people contributed to the book and I spoke to Uber drivers and Lyft drivers and Postmate delivery guys and everything. And the common theme through all of it was basically that everybody really does love the Internet, but everyone's very conscious that they're not in control of it. And the fascinating thing for me was that, you know, there is always this concept of you're the product. But I think um, we're not the product. You know, we are the consumer. And at the moment, we've been consumed. And You mean through data mining? The assumption is that companies like Google and Facebook, their only source of revenue is mining information from their users and selling it to advertisers. So that sort of creates this idea that we are the product. And something like this, this platform, Luminary, is a prescription model and the sort of ethics behind a sort of a evidently commercial venture such as this is, well, at least here, it's an explicit relationship. You're not being advertised that. You pay a subscription you can, and here is your content. Whereas with other forms of media or online media, you are going to get hit with, you know, like I reckon I, I like use a lot of like every human, like I watch YouTube a lot and I think, wow, man, they know they're really learning how to advertise me. The hit rate of adverts that I sit and watch for 30 seconds or even a minute now because they've worked out like I'm some sort yeah. of hippie meditator kind of dude. You know, I'm glad that that's the impression they've got of me five years yeah. ago. It would have been very different. <laughs> You know that it is a trend. I mean, I think that's the fear is that it is, as you as you say, Damien, that it's a transactional space. And for me, that's not unique to the online world, but merely a reflection of the capitalist ethos that underlines all spaces, all transactions, all strata of society. No, hundred percent. And that really hit me in America because living in Los Angeles, you know, you only need. To, I mean, you're going to Topanga next week, right? So just literally a few miles north of Topanga are the evidence of you know the last boom that hit America you know there are disused gold mines and you know that's still very present so when you see that I was it just really struck me that what we're facing right now is this belief that these companies and particularly the big four you know are are mining this data which we believe to be uh, an uh, an infinite resource um, but it's not. I think what we're seeing back from the consumer today is they don't want to give away all this information. They do want to have a little bit more privacy. Um, so I wanted to take a pause and say, okay, what will happen if this data, which is oil, dries up? What would that boomtown you know, look like? Imagine that Silicon Valley you know, suddenly was to disappear. What does that mean in practical terms, the information drought, Damien? Right, so mean- if- there, I mean, there's lots of hypotheses around how much, you know, how much people are using things like ad blockers and VPN connections stuff, but it's definitely increasing, right? People are more aware than ever that their data is being harvested and it's being used, you know, potentially against their will or against them. If that if that continues, what does it mean for the likes of Facebook? What does it mean for the likes of you know these massive companies that employ millions of people? I mean, not even thousands. These towns that are being created, the Facebook campus. 
how many thousand people work on that Facebook campus? And then how many companies are set up around Facebook that are producing games and e-commerce sites and the rest of it that are all based, all entirely reliant on, you know, you and me checking your Facebook feed and, you know, mindlessly clicking on some shit all day long. I just, I can't believe that that's going to, you know, remain forever. Can't continue forever. Do you think our habits will become more sophisticated? People will use social media more mindfully? Yes. Or, I hope so. Mm. I mean, that's your hope. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the, I mean, a few things that are you know, sort of underlying in, in this in this book, and it's more of a thought process than anything else, and the, you know, definitely taking me on to another book afterwards because this one this will never end. Is that the internet? I think is a great tool. It's been used for great good, but at the moment we've lost a little bit of control over it. I think, and what I would like you, me, tech companies, uh, you know, government to do is to reconsider it and actually try to take back some of that control where is that control now entirely in the hands of those big four facebook amazon google, google apple apple so that now in terms of like they, they are kind of global superpowers the, the i mean it's the biggest oligopolies we've ever known it's bigger than the tobacco industry. It's bigger than the oil industry, and or steel, or all those sort of Everything. like the, the, the uh, those companies that built America. They, the names of which still adorn halls and streets across that land. Yeah. So we we're not really in a position to be able to uh, judge their impact. Or so so I suppose the ethics of com companies like Facebook become super significant, particularly when I suppose we feel that they may be somewhat nefarious. That there's a sense that. If you take the temperature of our time with these, say, from WikiLeaks through Edward Snowden through to um, Zuckerberg talking and saying, oh, yeah, we did, we used this data in this way and that way and like uh, the Cambridge Analytica stuff and the sort of the ongoing sense that politically data is being used to make bespoke content to manipulate people politically. Right. In a sense, though, even that, isn't it really just the refinement of the way... Uh, commerce marketing and advertising have always operated underwritten by the idea that primarily we are here to can we're here to consume and be marketed at that's the sort of a problem that began you know sort of like i don't know a century ago certainly it's been speeding up since the 60s no definitely and i mean there are they're not all massive advertising companies right i mean amazon isn't a huge advertising business Amazon has done this amazing thing in just being able to tap into that need for us to be able to consume faster. I mean, we have this conversation that everyone on, you know, everyone in my studio was go, yeah, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous how much power Amazon has when you think that, you know, Amazon Web Services powers 60% of the entire internet. And then you've got Amazon Prime and then Amazon Film and then Amazon itself as the, as the book or the food delivery service and Amazon bought a pharmaceutical company last year. Uh -oh. you know, the, the insight that Amazon has into our lives is absolutely phenomenal. And I would say, okay, well, you know, do you think that that's reasonable? Do you want to give away all that information? Why don't we stop using Amazon? And everybody says, oh, fuck no. <laughs> Can you imagine you've got to go and get groceries yourself? It's so convenient that you can get a Swiffer mop in like 30 minutes. It's amazing. I wouldn't want to do that. And I, and I, you know, I worry that convenience is going to win over everything unless we you know just take a pause and and think for a second you know what how would we like this to be done better and considering that you know we are we are the customer and we're paying for it all 
and I, and I mean that from an advertising perspective on Facebook as well as paying for a literal product on Amazon. I think you know it's it's our right, it's our responsibility to say you know does this does this make sense? Having asked those questions, and 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 I think it's safe to assume that there's little ambiguity in the answer. We probably feel well you've already said that we've compromised ourselves we've given too much power there is an imbalance at some point this monopolization has to be challenged at some point the habits inculcated by this incredible imbalance of power have to be addressed reversed even what uh, what do you propose and what ideas do what are some of the ideas you outline here in your book mate so i want people to um it's got to be a combination of you know you and me as in the man on the street thinking about what it is, where it is they spend their time. I think Tristan Harris, I don't know if, you, if you've come across him, but he, he's been working on this sort of concept of time well spent. And for just people to consider, you know, where their time is going and whether it makes sense, you know, with, with how they're spending their time. If you're just cognizant and use some of the simple tools even on your phone today that tell you how much screen time you're using and ask yourself, you know, whether you think that's a reasonable amount, a reasonable investment of time. And sometimes it's shocking, right? I mean, I don't know if you ever check it, but sometimes it could be three or four hours that you spent at this fucking screen that didn't really deliver anything for you at all in your life. Yeah, more than I'm looking at my children's faces. Right. Yeah, um, my kids, you know, spend upwards of 20, 20, hours, a li- uh, 20 hours a week online. In the US, they were, their school were basically all completely digital. You know, the the math programs they were doing, the English programs they were doing were all computer-based. So the amount of time that they're putting into you know, these tools, I just think is is unnecessary. It's over the top. And I, and I do think, you know, we just we need to get some balance in how much time you spend with people in the real world versus, uh, you know, the digital world. How can we expect people to self-regulate? Before we came in here, mate, we were chatting about, like, our experiences, both of us, of having lived in Los Angeles at different points in life. And that sense that there is a... Uh, sort of a default climate of fear and desire that there is a, a sort of a lot of social anxiety and fear in America around sort of social customs like oh my god what do you mean you're walking a dog on a lead while riding a bicycle which is yeah. that was an example from your own life and uh, like my experiences are like from you know like when people are very anxious about coyotes when I when I took my cat out there the first time I moved I like just let my cat go out like a, you would in England and people are like you can't let your cat go out it'll be killed I was like no it'd be alright and he was alright actually and as I, if we lost know. two cats <laughs> oh really <laughs> <laughs> look there's no like death is coming <laughs> I acknowledge death is coming but like what but what I, I sense is that the we live in these states that are optimal states for a market you know fearful and full of desire and when you described you know like that you know, like most families i reckon i'm always saying to my wife god look do look, can we just get some more stuff like let's go to the shop if we have to buy that let's why do we have to have it delivered but you can't continue in the end you will concede and yield to convenience and i think it's very difficult to say to you know like because i like i the lens through which i review view my own life is excuse me addiction so you know like you know, I don't drink, I don't take drugs, I don't look at pornography. I don't like. And now, if I'm like starting to do with tech, I've started to go right. Don't bring your phone into the bedroom anymore. Right. Charge your phone downstairs. Don't look at your phone until you've meditated. The fact is, you know, like, but the meditation app is on the phone. You know, like it's very easy to get sucked back into your devices. But I'm in a relatively privileged position, and I can afford to create some distance for myself. But 
you know, like this, for people that like live on sort of sugary, salty foods that are deluged in the kind of products that you know, like the you know one of the many industrial waves or of commodification, like, you know, in diet, sugar and salt. Now in technology, Facebook and Amazon, that it's very difficult to resist these great tides of convenience. Yes, for the consumer, but con- convenience for the marketer. Uh, I often think when there are campaigns like for you know, don't use plastic bottles that the onus falls so strongly on the individual it's up to the consumer and in so doing who are you cast as in that dynamic you are cast as a consumer reiterating that your role is to consume products and you might exercise a modicum of control of how and when and how much you consume a product but for me not that I'm a big state or a big government person, far from it but I do feel like there needs to be some bigger ideological shift that has to take place not just on the level of individuals going, I'm only going to look at my phone for an hour a day. No, no, 100%. So I think it starts, I think it needs to start with uh, you and me on the street, but companies have got to play, you know, do play a massive role in it and have got to step up, I think, in terms of their responsibility. At the moment, there's no regulation whatsoever, really, when it comes to mm. technology. You know, we've we've seen it, right? I mean, you know, the the US is doing their best to try to put some people on the spotlight, but it's just really not really working and the fines that they're dishing out are you know a, a week's worth of revenue for a company that you know it's parking tickets as scott galloway calls them you know, it doesn't do anything you know to really put anything or, or change anything and then the last bit is regulation i mean i'm not a massive fan of regulation either but you know having seen the effectiveness of do you remember the, like charlie says campaigns that um yeah. you, know, you know going with strangers and stuff like that embedded still yeah right I mean, you know there needs to be some of that i think you know from the government too in just helping people understand what it means you know how how can you go around how can you how can you look after yourself when it comes to the web and i don't mean about you know putting adult filters and stuff like that in place because your kids are far smarter than you they're going to get around all of that stuff anyway but i mean just educating people that this is what happens when i talk about you know where your data goes and what data people are you know people are analyzing give us some examples if you think about what you put into Google search, Google search knows more about you than you know about yourself. I mean, you would have put in there, you know, questions about suicide, questions about, you know, divorce, questions about um, pornography, whatever it is. But Google knows far more than you do. Because it's collated and it recalls all of it. Yeah, and everything is basically being stored. And you might think that, you know, in, in my book, I talked to um, DuckDuckGo, <coughs> which is mm. like... Um, I've seen their adverts. That's one of the adverts I watched all of on YouTube. Yeah. So they're, they're pretty good, right? I mean, those, those guys are trying to make it really clear and explicit to people that when you think you're using private browsing and you might be, you know, having a quick sneak peek at something that you shouldn't be looking at, it's not private. It just isn't remembering it in your search history. That's, that's all it. that's doing. But, you know, someone at the, bo- at the end line is looking at your IP address and going, oh, yeah, hello. Oh my Russell's God. at it again. Thank God. Well, <laughs> now they want to see very much now. It's very <laughs> legitimate and above board because I had, but you know, five years ago, six years ago, it would have been pretty repetitive. <laughs> they could save on the labour. He's using Google. I think we all know what he's googling, even yeah. himself, on some form of nudity. So, um, I see. Okay, so like, yeah, we're becoming more. Uh, we're becoming more aware. We're aware of what this relationship is. One of the things I'm curious about. Damien, is that 
because we exist in this context, because you are uh, uh, that your you know your wealth and your livelihood comes from tech, we transfer a recognizable, yeah. successful brand. You know, and me even I work on online platforms. I've got a lot of followers on YouTube and social media sites. is a big part of what I do for a living. And the tendency is to look for reform as opposed to revolution. And my my concern is that. I'm concerned about how much can be achieved through moderation and modest reform. You know, like I feel that it might be quite a fundamental shift that is required. No, I think it does require a fundamental shift. I mean, the 87 cents on the dollar is spent on Google and Facebook alone. So every marketing dollar that's spent in the world of that 87 cents is going to those two companies. Wow. That shouldn't be allowed. They're the advertising industry now. That's it. I mean, you you know you want to go you want to go outside of that. It's incredibly difficult to go and spend some money somewhere else, and to you know to get traction. That shouldn't be allowed, right? I mean, there there should be some regulation around that from top down, saying we need to break this up. This has become this has become too powerful, too intrusive. You know, too much. Not happening. So that I mean, that's got to come from the from the top down. I think from the bottom up, you know, we need to we need to support companies like DuckDuckGo and those sort of guys that are that are going. Look, there's there's the set, you can get the same amount of information that you're getting from Google, but if you do it through us, you're you know the only thing you won't get is that we're not going to memorize everything and be able to offer you these amazing suggestions that you know you don't you don't really need, but you'll get the same information back. And if those two things happened at the same time, it would have you know absolutely major impact on technology as we know it today how will these powerful companies respond to the idea of modifying and reducing their success i mean everybody's talking about it right so privacy has become the big topic apple's been talking about it a lot tim cook i do believe actually really does is trying to put something in place where you know he's he's putting privacy at the forefront of everything that apple is doing but it's become it's become quite the the conversation point for for big tech I don't. I don't really see any massive changes coming through, um, and I, at, the, at the moment, with the wealth that they have, I don't think that they even, you know, would be considering doing anything other other than what they're doing right now. It, there will come a moment pretty soon, I think, where it will change, where people, you know, will stand up. But it's a super complex issue. My, if you think about a company like Apple, right, it's sitting on something like a trillion dollars in cash. You know, a trillion dollars would solve. How many problems? The world's water crisis disappeared. You know, poverty would probably alleviate all these things. But Apple's a publicly listed company. The issue isn't actually you know, necessarily just with Apple. It's with the shareholders who would rather take a short-term dividend and get money out of the company than, than turn around and go, it's, it's cool. Take that cash and do something amazing with it. We've got a we've got a problem as a society, right? That's become so short termist. I agree. All of these problems, all these phenomena, are suspended in an ideological space, and that ideological space, as it were, is commodification and commerce. As long as what is valued above all else is the necessity of profit, uh, then how can you ever how can you ever bias decision making? in another direction it's, it's, it seems to be impossible something i quote a lot so it m- must at least be important to me is that when um india achieved independence from britain gandhi said there's no point in us throwing off the british then emulating their structures and you know, which is what happened obviously in in india um 
but he went on to say this is a country of 70,000 villages we should be they should be fully independent and autonomous trading in whatever areas where their expertise is they should power should be decentralized and human beings and this is obviously in the 40s have to get over this obsession with uh, commodities and comforts and gadgets i think he said you know right. in the 40s and, and yeah and it's like an, an, an gadgets were they have had yeah what, i can't remember it's a cup and ball <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what was the gadgetry at that oh, time wrist watches what right. was gandhi up to but my um but now we're at this point where we're absolutely transfixed by objects uh, on it my feeling is that you in a sense what you're saying is right that as individuals we need to make decisions like in the world i'm interested in how you're raising your kids for example because you know one of the, the sort of famous things is seeing people that have achieved great success in tech industry saying i don't let my kids nowhere near that stuff and we designed yeah. this to uh, play on people's addictive tendencies and the swipe down motion and like it was based on pulling you know one-armed bandits and all these sort of terrifying anecdotes that emerge from that world how do you apply your ideology which is clearly one of caution and some concern about the marauding colonialist mentality of the tech industry with your duties as a father oh i'll tell you a story of where i where I, my worst parenting moment where my son was at probably the age of 12 completely addicted to instagram and just you know, constantly looking at basically what everybody else has got, what he doesn't have, and we're, we're you know we're doing okay. We were driving down PCH. This is in in LA, along the, along the coast, and we were going to Malibu, or actually closer to Panga, to see where the fires had had recently hit, and you know thousands of people displaced, and you know catastrophe right in California, and he's on his phone constantly swiping, and at a certain point, I was just like, okay, Fabian, get off your phone. And he continued to swipe. Like, Give me the fucking phone. Give me the fucking phone. Opened up the car window and threw his iPhone you out of the window. That. You threw the phone. <laughs> At which point, I, I've never seen my son so distraught. I think, you know, if I'd have shot the dog, <laughs> it would have been that same sort of look. Yeah, absolutely distraught. And from that moment onwards, I was like, we've just got to get this in check. You know, I'm sorry I threw your phone out the window. I hope your neighbours that see you walking the dog didn't see that. <laughs> oh, my God, man. They're just throwing his kid's fucking phone out the window. He's walking the dog on a string. <laughs> Who is this guy? Oh, yeah. and, and, they let, and they let their kids on the bikes. <laughs> fucking hell. Um, but we just said we got to get it in check. And so we, I said, you know, I'm going to come off Instagram. I'm not going to use Facebook any longer. Um, you know, I'm not going to force you not to do it. But I think it would just be better if you don't. Let's, you know, try something else. And, you know, like touch wood, my, my kids, they're not on Instagram, they're not on Facebook. Um, obviously put the fear of fucking God in them that, that I might throw other stuff out the window, but I think... You know, the what other threats have you got left? Yeah, nothing. The dog. Nothing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but it was a moment where I was like, you know, I think we just have to take stock of what you've got. And Instagram is that sort of space where you are just constantly checking and feeling like you're missing out on stuff. And for a 13-year-old, you know it's going through wow. massive transformation right i mean it's a very complex period in your life i think you you don't need that added pressure of you know more more i mean right. that's what it is right more people that are not like you more people that are like you more people that have more than you yeah more attractive people more i'm not good yeah. enough i couldn't take it i still don't i don't have instagram i don't have 
any social media apps on my phone. I do check social media as a result of my work. Really? If you're a person that sends me emails or I believe they're called tweets or gram posts. Yeah, I don't have it because I can't because I'm because right. I know myself and yeah, I'd yeah. like I'd be like your boy. I'd be on it like all the time, just looking, looking. My wife has it on her phone, and someone's like when she's looking at Instagram, oh, give us a look, give us a look, <laughs> and I take her one. I'm whoa, straight onto my page, see how many views things have got, have a little butchers. But like I shouldn't, you know. I fortunately because. <clears throat> My program is one of uh, addressing addiction and it's given me a worldview that all material attachments could be regarded as a form of addiction and I cannot right. afford to be unconscious. If you think about like the, the requirement for the uh, proliferation of these tech companies is a kind of unconsciousness that we use them unconsciously oh, i'm just typing that in i'm just browsing facebook i'm just you know like and i can't afford to be like that because the consequences of my behavior has been so extreme so i feel like the solution for me as an individual and for other people is to have some you know awareness that's what you're proposing isn't it and how do now that they don't have those things in their life do they feel like i don't know do they feel diminished by it no, I've got to say, the day that I threw his phone out the window, he actually got his skateboard out of the garage and started skateboarding for the first time in... It's like a film. ...fucking years. I hope he, he might be the new Tony Hawk. That's probably not a good reference anymore. I've got no idea, but <laughs> either way, we were over the moon. He was just like, you know, he was out, and then I'm not saying that this was the moment, but, um, you know, he started making... It was, there was definitely a lot more social. Then TikTok came along. Right, get on TikTok, Jenny. <laughs> I've told you... We need that because that's what kids like, isn't it? 11 oh second God. videos. It's look demented, my, isn't my it? My daughter loves TikTok. It's insane. And it's just, it's it's the same. It's just like re repetition, repetition. Do something different. Put some, put your face to another video. It, the mechanics behind it are fucking genius, right? Whoever Why? Because it is so sticky. Whatever whatever it is that they've created within TikTok is so sticky that for my 10 year old daughter who's you know loves theater and loves music and loves dance and stuff all she's doing is watching you know other people perform other people put something together other people you know construct something or do something wacky with a piece of music that she would then try and imitate incredibly clever it's fucking so addictive it's kid karaoke hey like you do your own little thing like I'd yeah i thought videos. you were on tiktok jenny get me on that tiktok <laughs> By the end of the day, I want to have to, I mean, I just, well, the thing is, is it seems so youth oriented. I can't imagine bringing myself to sort of mime to uh, like, uh, you know, a song by um, the Ariana Grande or whatever. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> feel like a, I can hear myself creaking in a woolen sweater <laughs> as soon as I contemplate the idea. But there's it a, is super young. Yeah, it's super young. Yeah. Um, what are we going to do, Damien? Like, cause, like, it feels to me like... Um, You've some of the ideas you've suggested, and tell us about some of the things like Interaction and Scale LA. Some of the uh, sort of action that you have taken in order to uh, redress some of the problems of your. No, business. I mean, so Interaction and stuff was really just us using media, uh, the media that we have to to try to you know highlight some of the major issues that are in the US. So that one particularly was gun reform. Not that we made any real dent in the issues in America around it, because I mean, it's such a such a fundamental problem that I don't think. We're going to fix it with anything short term. Certainly, we're not going to be able to do it. But those were really just us going, you know what? This is nuts. My kids are at school here. My kids are now going through security and having lockdown wow. drills and stuff. No kids should have to have be concerned. lockdown drills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, somebody's coming okay, in. Someone comes with a gun. This is what we do. Yeah, like get on the table. Yeah. And the funny thing is, 
you know, the school shootings, oh, it's not funny, sorry. The terrible thing is uh-huh. school shootings are with kids from the school who are getting the same lockdown training as the kids in the school. So obviously, in the event that you're one of the children that's doing this shooting, aim low. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know they're all under that desk. I mean, that's where we've been practicing, right? What a senseless, anyway, fatic ritual. Terrible. So that was just something that we transfer got behind because we felt like it was a, you know, it was right after the Parkland shootings. We had a lot of creative influence. We, my wife, uh, another woman we knew in Holland, Ellen Utrecht, said, you know what, I'm going to get together a load of veterans and we're going to talk to them about how they view semi-automatic weapons. We'll make a film. And these guys basically went, it's nuts. There's no reason for anybody to have a semi-automatic weapon in America. We made a film. It went to the March for Our Lives in Washington. Um, and it was seen by like 38 million people. Did it do anything? No, not really. But it was. it's quite cool that the platform can be used for that sort of good. You can, like, okay, so that's one thing. And, and that's, ha- that's not really about fixing anything to do with the tech industry. No, in or re- what my, like, I've been involved in activism and sometimes I feel like, that is an early experience once when I was on a march. I was very young and I was very drunk and I was on drugs and I was stupid anyway. So imagine the state I was in. And I remember that as the police kettled the protest in one direction, I, with no authority to say this, but just a sort of an instinct as a young activist and egotist sort of stood up on something and went, if they're trying to make us go in that direction... if don't go in that direction. Let's go in that direction. But, you know, people only wanted to go so far with the activism. I've always thought that, you know, you know when you're making a difference because the consequences start getting serious. And I heard from a very seasoned activist, Peter Tatchell, who's been big in gay rights for 20, 30 years. He says that if you went in, he goes, civil rights, he said, ultimately they'll concede because it doesn't affect economics. And when you get near finance, that's when you're... That's when you'll feel it. So, right. like my senses, and it's not it's something. It's a difficult thing to explore. But if to, to, in order to make a difference through activism, you have to say, what would they not want to happen? They would not want for this market to be capsized. They would not want for this revenue stream to dry up. They would not want this information to be exposed. You know, it's like that. And um, in a way, unless we're willing to do stuff like that, then we're kind of tacitly acknowledging that we're just involved with gestures of look here i'm going to do this for mental illness i'm going to do this for homelessness i'm going to do this but i'm not gonna do anything that's gonna make facebook go they've done what right because <laughs> you know that because power yeah, yeah. is a serious thing to toy with isn't it when you yeah. mess when you get near it it's i've had a bit of experience of it and it's actually quite scary yeah so i mean i haven't got anywhere near that sort of level of scariness but i agree with you and i on the 12th of october we're organizing a day called empty day it's literally a day that we're asking people to just leave social media alone mm. do something with your friends go to the cinema organize a picnic whatever the fuck it, is. it doesn't matter but just don't take your phone with you and see what it would be like if your twitter feed was empty for that day wow and i think it's a super simple mechanic it's one that you know i don't want to own it i don't want to have you know there isn't a group behind it or a series of ambassadors are not asking Bob Geldof to stand up and, you know, do some sort of, uh, you know, musical event or anything. It's basically, you know, Russell, if you think, you know, this would be good for you and your friends and family, just do something, organize and uh, whatever it is, a lunch, but just leave your phone at home. I think that idea of, you know, knowing that nothing's happening on your phone 
would be fascinating that yeah. you could just leave it and actually I'm not missing out on shit. But also for, for business, right? If everybody was to not post anything for a day and it's not a big ask, it would have a major financial impact on How? those massive advertisers. Because there'll be a day where everything was dormant. Yeah, no clicks. Have you ever observed, as I have, that there's this stratification even in the world of social media? And it, I think, again, diet is a good analogy for it. You know, I don't eat McDonald's no more because I realised at some point you don't eat that shit. You might as well take drugs. And perhaps you're in a sort of a similar position. And it's, I believe it's to do with, you know, like an education, affluent social position to yeah. some degree. But there are some people that are just going to carry on eating McDonald's and they're going to carry on looking at Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And and it's like, how do we, you know, it becomes about class and yeah, privilege. Yeah, yeah. And how do we, and because those, gosh, I don't want to generalise, but it seems that the trend in that area becomes is towards a kind of a hardening towards ethno-nationalism towards right-wing sentiment and in a sense I can kind of understand it because I think they feel that we are rarefied and we're talking we're not addressing the things that are affecting them you know like I can see like you know when we talk about gun control it seems so obvious to me that you would want restrictions on you know but like things the way the people's children's lives are in danger but to other people it's like no this is my life I don't want people coming to my life taking my guns and you know when you hear the other side of these arguments there's so much anger and fear and I think there are so many people that feel that they've been left behind by the dominant narratives and forms of cultural identification that we kind of take for granted because you know you've come through tech I've come through media and we sort of feel like well we've got we're invested in this space you've got a book published I've had books published and even if you're not in this these you know quite elite positions you're still participating in a form of culture that feel that is kind of privileged and I like your idea about you know like the the, the um, leave your phone at home day and I, I'll do that kind of thing I'm in a position where I can afford to do it like the same way as I'm in a position to go to vegan restaurants and participate in simple craft things where it's all made out of twigs and string you know like so this <laughs> sort of a nostalgic pull back yeah, in yeah. time you know but, but I don't want you to can't. do it but I, yeah but I think they can for a day right that's all it is and I think it's a bit the same you know, I'm I'm very I'm very susceptible to addiction too. So I mean, you know, if I if I get too much into anything, I can easily you know get lost for a few months in in something. And I think it needs you know sometimes you just need to go go cold turkey and go you know it's all right. And nothing's actually gonna nothing's actually gonna you know die or be affected really. This is a Saturday, so like for business, it's it's not a major day they're going to lose loads of money. It's deliberately not on World Mental Health Day because. I think on that day, it's super important that people can share and can, you know, recount stories and get advice and hopefully get some sort of, you know, feedback and support. But for one day, mm. if it was all it was a year, one day where you go, you know, what, I'm not I'm just not going to do that. I think everybody can afford to do that. I don't think that's a luxury. I think you're right. And, and I agree with your broader point that the Internet or even social media are not inherently bad. There's so much positivity. Yeah. It's merely that it <clears throat> feels like the same. Like, in the wrong hands. In the wrong it's hands. It's terrible. And I mean, that yeah. brings to another point. It's like, if you look at a city like San Francisco, I believe there's 11,000 billionaires in San Francisco. Wow. I mean, when I was a kid, I don't think there were any billionaires. You didn't hear that word. I didn't think so, no. I mean, now we talk about trillions and stuff. We're like, oh, has he got tr like but 11,000 billionaires in a city like San Francisco where, you know, a, a millionaire is classified as someone low income by the banks. 
it's I just think it's it's morally wrong. You know, I don't believe that anybody needs a billion dollars, right? I mean, you, no. I mean, I like I like having nice things. I like being able to buy things. I like being able to travel. I like being able to, you know, su- support my family and not have to worry. That's su- that's super. That's a super luxury. But a billion dollars? No, I don't need it. So how do you like in the end when it comes to it that you know that's the that, so far the only way of unless there's some kind of voluntary self-regulation which you know historically that don't seem to happen very much we're talking about state or international regulation on wealth you know and the sort of the arguments against socialism far more communism are kind of quite deeply embedded uh, and what i want to say like People consider it to be against their national identity. The idea like that poor people will stand up and fight for the right of billionaires not to be taxed at ninety percent, or for there to be an income ceiling of no one can, like you know, no individual can. Ha- it's weird because it's so, like in religions you find principles like tithing and caps and and fluidity of you know in islam you know like money can't rest any money that you've kept for like over a year 90 percent of it has to go back into circulation you know that there's some there are alternative ways of course there are the argument that there are no alternative economic models are primarily presented by people who want the economic models that we have now to remain and be conserved but it's interesting because the, what you're talking about, and curiously, this is one of the things that the internet and social media can provide, is a level of global organisation and global pressure on, you know, in a way, the wealthy and the privileged. And what's funny, though, is when, when we've got our knickers in a twist about something and we really want to get, you know, people lobbying and get united, we take to the streets. I, think, I find that a fascinating concept. It's like, you know, we want to we go and, you know, we want to march for women's rights. Great, you should. But if you did it on the internet, if you know, if you said, "What well, this isn't reasonable," we're gonna we're gonna target those companies or people that are you know doing, and they're all gonna be blacklisted or they're gonna be blocked or we're not gonna talk to them. We're gonna leave the internet alone because we believe certain companies, you know, aren't supporting these values. It would have so much more impact than going on the streets. Yes, but for whatever reason, we decide that you know we're gonna do it old school. Everything else is new school and we're going to, you know, absorb as much as we possibly can. But we're going to take the real things we care about. We're going to do in the in the environment where there's actually the least like mobility or the the least noise, the least traction. It's a, I'm going to take my lathe and yeah. my seed drill and I'm damn well protesting <laughs> against the big yeah. four. It's funny. And then you, you hear people talking about, you know, they're, they're going to come with pitchforks. It's like, don't come with fucking Twitter. Yeah. Or leave it all alone, and that would have even bigger, an even bigger impact. You're quite right. You're quite right, Damien. You're right, dear bear. Good boy, good boy. Settle down. So, okay, so it, your book, mate, it talks through... It's essentially a guide for people to use the internet more consciously and awarely, or with more awareness, rather, in their own lives, and what some suggestions for how there is room for change and progress. Yeah, I think I like I like using you know real world metaphors, analogies, and and the and the internet because I think that helps put it into context. So it starts with a story, or the prologue is basically this idea of retargeting on the internet. And I would I would say, if you were to go into a sneaker store and to pick up a pair of sneakers, not like them, they're the wrong size, whatever, you set them back, leave the store on the high street walk up the road and the, the shop attendant was to follow you out of the store with the same pair of sneakers into the next store and just say, you know, 
would you be interested in these again? I know you looked at them earlier on and put them back, but I brought them for you anyway. And then follow you on again and again. At a certain point, you punch the dude in the face. I mean, it it wouldn't be allowed, right? You'd be... I'd request... Uh, firstly, I think I'd say, would you stop? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go straight to the violence. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I'd fast forwarded like... Sir! <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's been doing it for a while. We're yeah. at home now. Yes. He's in the bed yes. with the Adidas. He's holding them. He's between my wife and I. Exactly. It's one of those rare nights where we're copulating. Yes. Sir, please consider these gazelles. <laughs> I don't even like that brand. Yeah. And well, then I've got Asics violence. Yeah. yeah. On the, Online, we take that as totally okay. Yeah. That's all good. You know, follow me around wherever you want. You can basically try to resell me anything. And I'm, a, I'm basically a fucking moron that doesn't know any better. And you can treat me, but you can basically abuse me. And I feel, I feel, I feel like often it's abuse that you're going to just continually hit me with stuff and basically wear me down until I'm going to go, all right, fuck it, I'll buy those fucking sneakers. Um, In a sense, it costs them so little, I suppose, yeah. to continue. There is no manpower at stake. And what through attrition, ultimately, was we start to consume. Ch Dave Chappelle did a really good sketch. It you know, must have been in the first five, ten years of the internet as we understand it, you know, and, and these days. And like, if it was a physical space, you know, he did that very thing of people coming and pushing stuff and then people pushing porn at you. And <laughs> like in the end, right. gets to you that stuff as he illustrated rather well in that sketch. Mate, what some of these other things you've... Um, like, I've got here like uh, your ambivert personality type. I'm interested in that. Your any given Sunday uh, newsletter. Tell me about some of your other things that you're doing. Well, so what I, do you mean by ambivert personality type? What the hell's going on there in the role <laughs> of doubt? So I think I'm an extrovert and an introvert. I think um, it's it's the way we are, right? I think every, I don't really really believe that anybody's really an extrovert. I think we're all somewhere in between, and at some point it manifests more in more extreme case one direction another time it's another direction people that know me would probably say you know i'm quite shy and, and actually don't don't like being the limelight but sort of secretly i do in secretly you sort of long for it or you do want recognition but for a long time i'd say no i don't i don't need recognition at all i'm quite happy doing what i'm doing you know i'm all, I'm all good <laughs> don't need anybody to tell me that i've done a good job but secretly you do right that's sort of how it goes so i think that's what an ambivert is is somewhere someone in between who's probably just a bit complex mm. which i think is a lot of people yeah. Which I think is just society, and then you could play that back into the internet, right? I think we, you know, we as a t as a company, right? We've we've sort of grown, and you know, we've done a lot of things wrong. We're not by no means perfect. We're not like the saints of the internet or anything. But I think you know we've we've developed over time, and I've developed over time, and I'm still sort of developing and trying to work out, you know, where I'm most comfortable and what I'm best at, and what I enjoy doing and what I don't enjoy doing. Um, and that's where that was what plays into doubt is I think I'm riddled with it riddled yeah I'm, where is it most manifest in oh my god in, do, in doing a book like that tell me what are your doubts mate and I'll see if I can make you feel better <laughs> no it's that you know you can you write a book can you can you put it down can you do it eloquently can you do it in a way that's actually going to be well read are people going to criticize you for it who's going to hate it who's going to love it who's going to say that could have been better um and I think mm. that's the creative process too, right? I, I'm never, I'm rarely walking away from a project going, that was amazing, interstellar. You know, I'm like so proud of that. Most of the time I go, yeah, no, that was, that was quite good. Yeah. You know, that was sort of very British. And I'm like, yeah, that was, that was all right. That's nice. That's, it seems to me to be a natural perspective. Tell me, what is it any given Sunday, mate? It's just my thoughts. 
So a random newsletter that goes out literally on any given Sunday. Few, few people signed up for it very generously. They hear whatever ramblings, what I'm watching on TV. Written or video? Yeah. No, no, written. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just links. So, I mean, links to stuff that I'm reading, links to stuff that I'm watching, articles, stuff that we've done as a company, you know, we so things that I'm sort of most proud of that we push out every now and again. You're interested in community. Yeah. And connecting people. We've started doing this thing. Guess what we've started doing? Like we do, uh, you know, a, a newsletter also. And like I've started to ask, because we get, uh, because I talk about on my online spaces, talk a lot about mental health and relationships, etc. We get a lot of emails, people talking about addiction, mental health issues, more than it was possible to respond to. So we've started to recruit a volunteer force to respond to the emails and to direct people to appropriate services if it's mental health or appropriate support groups if it's addiction in any of the forms of addiction behavior right through to substance misuse and we've only just started doing it but it's interesting because it's a new and cohesive sort of sense of community and finding ways where we can bond together that's not just on the basis of how we spend money like the, the, it's interesting because i not many people well, i don't know about not many people but it's important i feel to belong to tribes to belong to groups to have shared purpose with right. people i'm very interested in developing these ideas i'm also i'm also inclined to say damien that most of the things that we discuss and that i find myself discussing generally with the people i talk to on under the skin I return to the basis of a spiritual approach to life and spiritual approach to life for me means the prioritization of the invisible world over the material world, the recognition that we primarily live in our own consciousness, our own perception, our own awareness and that where there are tools and techniques that can influence our perspective. Uh, that's a sort of a, a, a fancy way of saying it but another way of saying it is that i'm interested in increasing compassion and kindness and loosening the grip that i i, I personally have uh, suffered from of feeling that my happiness can only be derived from pleasure or personal success or the achievement of privilege or prestige uh, you know like that's a hard thing for me to overthrow to to see that I will be happier if I'm of service to others and to try to incorporate that in my life and prioritize it more and more. It seems to me that we're interested in similar things, you know, that you're interested in mentorship, you have, you're involved in supporting mentoring program and mentoring programs and developing. So all the money from my book will go to uh, an organization called United for Global Mental Health. So it's, a, it's an organization that's basically trying to put all the different groups together that are that are you know trying to fight this ridiculous issue one person committing suicide every 40 seconds now Bloody hell. um and um yeah so i mean a, a lot of the focus for me in in doing this is you know how do we again as a tech company or as people involved in tech take responsibility for for what is happening online and i think you know a big a big part of this is that all all the proceeds will basically go towards this group and it will kick off the biggest sort of activation kicks off at the UN, um, which is the beginning of October, um, and they're they're doing a huge campaign around this tragedy of forty seconds. So Broadway's going silent for forty seconds. 
a lot of football matches and stuff will stop for 40 seconds. Um, you should get involved with that if you're not already. 40 whole seconds, is it, that you've got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds really good. When are you doing that in the early October? Yeah. You're doing some good stuff, mate. You're a kind person. We try. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all good. No, no, because you're human and you're flawed. Exactly, yeah. Go on then, what are you worried about? What are you worried about on an individual level? You're worried about your book. You've got it out now. Now that's in the hand of the gods. Are you worried about your familial life, your personal life? Are you meditating enough? Are you even meditating? I've never meditated what in my life. What are you doing with your time? <laughs> um, are you going to learn to meditate? Well, so I don't really know what meditation is, if I'm honest. I mean, I go, I go for a run. I go to the woods with a dog. That's like my sort of meditation. No, it's not going for a run in the woods with a dog. It's not riding around on a bike with a dog <laughs> on a string, alarming your neighbours. It's not throwing a phone out of a window, Damien. No, I know that it's part. It's none it? of these things. Okay. It's, um, I Give suppose, me the 101. Well, when I last meditated, which was this morning, what I felt was that the, for meditation, it's like there's 20 minutes for me. That I'm not going to be engaged with external relationships. I'm not going to be engaged with external objects. I'm going to sit, in my case, I do mantra meditation, transcendental meditation. I'm going to stay with a mantra and lightly think a mantra, which is the word, really. I'm going to think this word. And when inevitably I start thinking about something else, like what I'm doing later or what I did yesterday or what I want or whatever, without berating myself or being harsh on myself, I just go, oh no, back to the mantra, back to the mantra. On occasions, this leads to a sort of a sense of transcendence or loss of self, not always, but in any event, I am told by sources more reliable than the one you're listening to, that the process of- David Lynch. Yeah, for example, David David Lynch. Lynch, (laughs) um, And the dear Bobby Roth from the David Lynch Foundation, who runs David Lynch's organization, that it's, mentally and physically healing us and david lynch is a great believer that you know it changes everything like that if a significant but he says that if point one it's this tiny fraction of the world's population if they were to start meditating it would influence consciousness significantly there are some research studies that a borderline woo woo e.g like in chicago where they had just a thousand people meditating like every day in a particular precinct the crime fell by a sort of 50 percent and you can find this on the internet that you know like it was i mean so david does it a lot in la right and then he's put put his what is it tm meditation into a lot of preschools and inner city schools and i mean i've I've been to a couple of talks with those guys it seems to be working i mean Mm. He, I mean, he obviously is waxing lyrical about it, but would well, you? You should learn. I think they would love to teach you and your yeah. wife. Okay. Yeah, I'll hook it, you up if you want. I'm like a meditation father Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Not on commission, I hope. There's no money changes hands, but I do get sort of a little rush of power. Right. <laughs> which is antithetical to the entire brief. But for you know, I suppose look. In a sense, the, the, some of the themes we're talking about are sort of consciousness and awareness, decentralization of power, regulation on marauding capitalism, such as we would expect. You know, But let's face it, we've not bloody achieved it in energy and oil. I'm sure there's some regulation, but it's pretty minimal. It's not enough if, you know, like if we're to believe uh, climate change science. So it's very difficult to oppose 
it's very difficult to introduce and popularize ideas that are not in the interest of the powerful. Very easy to popularize the ideas that are in the interest of the powerful. Those ideas spread fast. You know, like for us to hijack the the organs of capitalism, take tremendous uh, resolve. Yeah, but it's going to change. I do. I'm I'm very optimistic that it will change, and I think. The the difference with, you know, tobacco and oil and that sort of thing is that government could understand it quite well. It's it's very simple, right? That oil just comes out of the ground. You sell it for X amount of money, taxed, put on it as another another percentage, and it, you know, emits so many grams of carbon or whatever. It's quite easy for people to understand. Governments haven't understood technology at all. I think the understanding and knowledge within government has been really, really poor up until very recently. I think, you know, what we're seeing now in the Senate hearings in the US and, and certainly in the UK, I mean, actually, UK and Germany are really getting their, to, to grips with what's going on. German government is super progressive. If you want, you know, a quick shortcut tip on how to make your Twitter feed a little bit more interesting, change your location to Germany. You'll get no hate speech. It's all been blocked. You know, and the German government has said, you know, we're not going to take that. Twitter is a publisher. It's not a platform. If you're not going to take the power and the control into your hands, we'll do it for you. So your Twitter feed in German, Germ, in Germany, if you change the location to Germany, will look very different than it will if you're in the US. Wow. So it's, defi- it's definitely happening, right? And I think the internet's only 25 years old. The last sort of 10 years, I think government's been catching up. The next 10 years, I think we're going to see quite a lot of change. And I, and I do think it will be changed for the better. I don't want it to become like China. I mean, we're not, I don't want it to become so regulated and so powerful and, and, and the skew towards government as we have in China. I mean, there's scary shit happening over there, right? I mean, your Tinder profile is linked basically to your Equifax credit score report. So you're able to see, you know, oh, you know, Russell's interesting, not only is he very good looking, but he's minted. So this guy's an well, absolute like this match. assessment. I'm off to China. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's scary shit, I think, right? I mean, so, and I think before... Not if you're good looking and minted. <laughs> Before Welcome that. to our glorious <laughs> dystopia. <laughs> and that, but that's life, right? In China, I mean, it's really current current state. I mean, I can't see that happening in Europe, and I think Europe is going to be leading in terms of like tech regulation. And I and I do think that people are waking up to it and saying, you know what? Let's take news for example. People do understand what fake news is. I think people are more willing to pay for quality journalism than ever. I mean, the fact that you changed your podcast, right, from being just open and free to a sort of paid subscription service. Not everyone can afford that, unfortunately, but, you know, those that can will pay for it because they're looking for quality. They're looking for truth. There is some truth in curation. And I think we're seeing, you know, we're seeing more of that curation coming back into play. And I think that's really cool. We we sort of started a radio station with Giles Peterson called Worldwide FM. It's just, you know, Giles from BBC Radio 6, you know, curating super cool upcoming musicians, jazz. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite arty, I guess most people would call it. But it's curated and people love it. And it's just old school radio, mm. right? So I think there is this need for curation and for, um, for quality content. And unfortunately, that won't be for everybody. But then, you know, neither was a newspaper 30 years ago, right? I mean, if you if you couldn't afford it, you couldn't get the newspaper. You'd find a way of being able to borrow it. It would be in the local library or whatever else. Mm. And, I, and I do see that playing out in the future, that there'll be more awareness around fake news. There'll be more, you know, distrust of the sort of crazy TMZ and that sort of shit. 
and more of the premium services where we've hopefully got more truth. And that, that I can see coming through. You can see it in news platforms that are rising today and people are willing to pay for. The internet can't be free forever, right? I mean, it's impossible. You can run, if you just think about the number of servers that are running to power this, you know, always on society, it's impossible to sustain that. Yes, and in a sense, it isn't free because if you're not paying for it, then you're the product, then you are continually being marketed at, although this is one of the themes that you've addressed and sort of analysed and provided a different perspective on. It's when you're occupying that space, you are being manipulated. Yeah, but people are becoming more aware of that. So I think people, you know, will start using more services that basically don't give away so much data. We'll put a lot of pressure on those businesses that are all advertising based. So, well, yeah, what will that, will you, how do you see that going? I mean, the, surely these are very, very smart people with a lot of access to data. So if they're thinking, oh, look, people are tending towards uh, privacy sort of models. How, mm -hmm. What do you think is the likely response to that? So I think there's one scenario, you know, where you're, Google Maps that you're currently using for free will suddenly become somehow paid for in that, you know, you're, you think that, you, you know, you're totally always taking different routes to work, but you always take the same route or you always take the same route to drop your kid off at kindergarten or whatever. And on that route, you know, you three days a week, pick up a coffee at Starbucks. Suddenly that Starbucks coffee isn't now $2 or £2.10. It's now £2.30 because Google's predicting that you're going to be there and it's going to charge you for it your insurance company is going to know when you're speeding, right? I mean, you're, use, you're giving away all that information anyway, and your map's running in your car. There, are, I mean, I can't remember the, the exact statistics, but the, um, the amount of data that's coming out of your car is more than it's coming out of your phone. So, the, you know, that information being fed back to an insurance company, who is going to say, Russell, <laughs> you know, 30 days a month, you're going uh, 55 in a, in a 50, um, you become a risk, your insurance policy is going to go up. And you're going to say, fuck it, I'm going to turn that data off. I'm not going to do that. And they go, oh, unfortunately, you didn't give us that data. So We're we can't help you out. Yeah. Oh, I hate these people and, and this system. But that is going to happen. They're going to know about the bus lanes and everything, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> so I think there, there's going to be a point where we're going, to, we're, you know, we're going to have quite an interesting moment where people are going to go, fuck it, I don't want to give that away anymore. I'm going to pay for it and have it my way and I'm going to use Luminary or is it called Luminary? Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. I mean, we can use that as a clip. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Damien, this, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about your book and talking about how, oh, for me, it seems that you are very sincere about finding ways to ethically conduct your business and operate in a space that sometimes can feel mercantile and terrifying the online space and thank you for being so personal and personable and open pleasure thank you very much for having me cheers man thanks yeah. damien thanks thank you for listening to that i hope you enjoyed the episode with damien don't stop listening because you think the content's over it's not i'm going to say some more important things it's not just promo let me know what you thought of this on instagram tag me in your instagram stories at russell brand and let me know you enjoyed this podcast and tweet me at Rusty Rockets with the hashtag under the skin. In the meantime, have a listen to some of the previous episodes. Anna Whitelock on monarchy. She was brilliant, actually. I really understood kings, queens and power more. Have a listen to Graham Hancock. I, I still I see his name and I suddenly feel the intensity and passion and, let's face it, anger of that day. 
And if you, uh, he talks about fake history and fake narratives, he's good. Please sign up to our mailing list on russellbrand.com so I can communicate directly with you. You'll be the first to know about my upcoming live shows and receive exclusive mailing list only content. Thanks for listening to Under the Skin from Luminary Media. <laughs>